I have a weakness for kids. <laughs> yeah, I used to, when I pastored, I used to do children's sermons. They last about a minute. <laughs> you know how it is when you go to the smorgasbord with young children. You got about a three-minute window of opportunity. After that, it's time to leave. <laughs> Amen. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Um, I am involved in your history in ways that you may not know uh, in that I attended the very first worship service of Stony Point Church back in 71. And uh, if you look at the bulletin, a little blurb about me, you'll see that I studied under Dr. Schaefer over at Labrie in Switzerland. And uh, Joyce Ranson, where are you, Joyce? Okay, yeah, there, there you are, there you are. Joyce was very instrumental in getting me over to study at Labrie. She, uh, she made a sizable contribution to my, to my endeavor to go. And uh, as a matter of fact, Joyce, you were with, uh, I was with you at that first uh, Sunday at Sony Point. That's right. So we go back. We go back. We have a history, as they say. <laughs> I'll always thank God for her. Exodus 33, uh, starting with uh, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, oh, but let, let me set this up for you. You know what's going on in the Bible, right? This is right after the chapter 32 where the, the children of Israel did that fiasco with the golden calf, remember? All right, so this is right after that. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to a land I promise on earth, oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any, or on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. And if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. I think God's a little ticked here, don't you think? <laughs> if, <laughs> now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meaning, meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Lord Moses went into the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down at the, at stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me to lead these people. 
but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I and you have found favor with me. But if you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In this whole dialogue with God, uh, there's this argument as to whose people these are. <laughs> when they worship the golden calf, God says, these are your people, Moses. And Moses said, oh, no, no, God, these are your people. <laughs> and then he, he, he says this again. Quite interesting. The rest of the passage I think we'll cover in the message. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is simply entitled, The Day of the No Deal. The Day of the No Deal. As you know, the covenant is a very important aspect of the scripture. The scripture itself came as God was making a covenant with his people. A covenant is like a deal, right? And the deal goes like this. God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the story of the whole Bible right there in that one sentence. Now, the covenant has a certain um, format to it. Uh, it starts off with the introduction. Like, for example, if you look at uh, Exodus 20, we all know it as the Ten Commandments. It, it starts off, God saying, I am the Lord your God. That's the introduction. It tells us who's making the deal, who's making the covenant. And then you have a statement of historical roots. Uh, this is the past relationship of the parties in the covenant. And so in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God, what? Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, Right? Out of the house of bondage or whatever. And then you have terms for God. This is what God is going to do in this covenant relationship. Well, he's already mentioned those terms when he said, I am the Lord your God. Uh, if uh, President Obama was to be introduced before you today, all you would have to say is, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. That's it. You wouldn't have to tell him about his uh, community uh, involvement in Chicago and all the rest of that. Because once you say the President... You've said it all. And when God says, I am the Lord your God, you've said it all. By the way, that's not a political statement, you know. Don't, don't. <laughs> okay, so you can relax. <laughs> Whoever's the president. Uh, but anyway, praise the Lord. You know, there was a time when I, I used to say, well, if you say the president, you don't have to tell, you don't have to tell how many B movies he played in, you know. <laughs> you know, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> so, so, so God has already stated his terms. He's going to be the Lord our God. Then there's terms for, for, for God's people. And of course, in Exodus 20, the terms are the Ten Commandments, okay? And then you have a statement of blessings and cursings. That is, you get, if you keep the covenant, you get the blessings. If you break the covenant, you get the cursings. There's two I want to highlight. Uh, basically, the blessings and cursings of the Ten Commandments you'll find in Deuteronomy 27 and following. But right within the, 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 the Ten Commandments, you find a couple of statements of blessings and cursings. Like, for example, honor your father or mother. What's the blessing? For your life will be long in the land that the Lord will give you. Okay. Another one is God says... I will visit the iniquities of the fathers down to the sons all the way down to the fourth generation who hate me. Notice that. So in other words, if my father, uh, let's say if I hate God 
and my son follows in my tradition of hating God, then not only will I get my own cursings, and I will, but my son will get his cursings as well as my cursings. And his son will get my, my cursings, his cursings, as well as his cursings. Does that make sense? And the cursings pile up for four generations. But that is if you keep the tradition of hating God. But if you break that tradition and say, I'm going to love God, it resets. And then it says, but what does God say about the blessings? He says, I will show my loving kindness to thousands of generations who love me. So the blessings pile up for thousands of generations. The cursings only pile up for four. You see how God is strong? His, his statement of grace is stronger than a statement of judgment. And then you finally have the conclusion. And basically, the best uh, example of the conclusion would be in uh, when Joshua makes his farewell address to the people. He says, serve the Lord and serve him only. But if you do not serve the Lord, choose this day which idol you will serve. But for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. So that's the, basically the covenant. It's a, it's a fascinating concept because the whole Bible is, is based on that. Now, in the Bible, there are basically two covenants. We know this. Most of us think it's the old, old covenant and the new covenant. But actually, the old and the new covenant are two phases of the same covenant. Basically, in the Bible, there is the covenant of creation, which is based on works. Some of us call it the covenant of works. And, uh, and in it, we were to keep the terms through works. We were to do certain things. The blessing was the continuation of eternal life, and the curse was immediate eternal death. In other words, the lake of fire. And of course, you know, from the biblical history, we broke the covenant of creation, and we all became subject to eternal death. It hangs over our head. In a very real sense, when uh, Adam and woman broke the covenant, they fell all the way to the lake of fire in principle. But in reality, they only fell a little bit. Why? Because God had another covenant ready to go the instant that the covenant of creation was broken. And that was a covenant of salvation. The covenant of salvation was designed to deliver us from the, broken, the curses of the broken covenant of creation. To keep it, we had to do it through faith. But we demonstrated our faith through works. And, uh, and so the curse, therefore, would be the continuation of being subject to the covenant of creation's curse. Now, there are subdivisions. For, you know, you have the old covenant, which looks forward to the accomplishment of righteousness and salvation. And you got the new covenant, which looks to the accomplishment or looks to uh, the application of righteousness and salvation because they've been accomplished. It's interesting, if you look at the whole Bible, uh, the covenant is kind of set up like the old rules of the spelling bee. You know, <laughs> if, 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 if the person in front of you misspelled their word, then when it was your turn, you weren't qualified to go to your word until you spelled their word right, right? Then once you spell their word right, then you can spell your word. So Adam misspelled chrysanthemum. So when it was Jesus' time, <laughs> he had to spell chrysanthemum right. And then he would, he would, he, yeah, <laughs> sesupidalius, okay, that was Jesus' word, right? So, <laughs> okay, in other words, Adam was to accomplish righteousness, but he failed, so Jesus would have to come and accomplish righteousness, and then he can accomplish salvation. Does that make sense? All right. 
So the old covenant looks forward to the accomplishment of righteousness and salvation. Having Jesus having accomplished it, we look to the application of righteousness and salvation. Now, um, the context of this passage is in the midst of God making a covenant with Moses and his people. Remember, you have the old covenant and the new covenant, okay? And in the old covenant, you have five sub-covenants. You have a covenant with Adam and his children, with Noah and his children, with Abraham and his children, with Moses and his people, and with David and his people. So here we are in the midst of God making the covenant with Moses and his people. And so here we are in our passage. We often think that this incident ended with the children of Israel being hit by the plague. But... uh, Sometimes we're not familiar with the, the awful, dreadful consequences of what happened as a result of that in this chapter. The last chapter we see it as a self-contained thing, but it goes on to the next two chapters. So here we are at Exodus 33. The covenant God made with the children of Israel, at, like I said, was broken. They made an idol and worshipped it or even tried to worship God by means of it. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> they begged uh, Aaron to make this uh, idol. And, you know, Aaron was a goldsmith. He had to do it with great skill. All the, deliberately did it. And when Moses confronted him about this, <laughs> Aaron said, Don't be so upset, Moses. I just threw this gold into the fire and this calf just popped out. <laughs> it's really interesting. And then so he's implying that God made the calf. But at the end of the chapter, chapter 32, God makes it clear that Aaron made the calf. All right. So, so now that the covenant was broken, uh, uh, God was going to destroy, uh, you know, he was going to destroy them. But back then, you know, in chapter 32, God, uh, Moses appeals to God on the basis of his promises and on the basis of his reputation. He says, you made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what will the Egyptians and the surrounding nations think? Think of your PR, God. Okay. Um, but God was very angry with them. Now, here is the problem. Now, here we are in chapter 32, uh, 33. They were not on bad terms with God. Israel was not on bad terms with God. Israel was on no terms with God. And that is a scary thing. Now that the covenant was over, there was no covenant to keep. There were no blessings of salvation to offer. Never before had the people of God been outside of the covenant. Never before had the people of God operated on no relationship with God. And that's what the situation was. All that was left was an awful, empty, no-deal gap. And there was no escape from the curse of God's wrath. There was no escape. At any second, they were to be translated right to the lake of fire. The best they can do was to postpone the inevitable application of this curse. But even that required God's grace to postpone it. We all know that we need to hate sin, and we all, we all got that. We got that memo, didn't we? But sometimes we need to be reminded and motivated to do so by seeing some of the consequences of sin. Because we sin, God has every right to abandon us totally. Just one little sin will do it, because God requires absolute perfection. 
And the only way that we can approach God is on the basis of an, an absolutely perfect life. And there's only one person that's ever lived that. And so when we come to him, when we come to Christ, we exchange, we, we swap. Jesus, take my life with all of his mess. And Jesus gives us his life with all of his perfection. The Israelites were given a new name to reflect their, their sinful nature. God called them stubborn people. See, the problem is that they had been complacent. And when complacency is left unchecked, it turns to stubbornness. And what's worse, God said to Moses, take your stubborn people and get out of here. Since God knew them better than anybody else, they had no defense against God's indictment. God would have brought them into special, a special bond with himself, but they were too stubborn for that. God would have straightened out their sinful natures, but they were too obstinate to, deny, to desire God's solution to their problem. It's not that God couldn't overcome that, but these folks were just downright honorary. God would have been their loving Lord, shield, and defender, but they wanted no part of God's reign over them. Mount Sinai was to be the place where the worship of God would be set up. But now they were being expelled. And it looked like the worship would never be set up. This would never be done. But amazingly here, God said that he would keep his promise to give them the land of Canaan. But in this case now, since they messed up, God said, I will give you this land, but I will not be with you. His special presence would not be with them. Because you see, the God's presence, special presence was represented by a special angel that carried God's name. The special angel that carried God's name was in essence a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. But instead, God said, I'm not going to be with you. So I'm going to send you an average, run-of-the-mill, ordinary old angel. But I'm not sending my special angel with you. And uh, God spoke to them as if he didn't know what curse to apply to them. He says, take off your jewelry. And I will decide what to do with you. Think of the uncertainty. You know, you know what it was growing up when your parents were mad at you and you didn't know quite what they were going to do. That's scary. I mean, I'd rather, I, w- I would rather have gotten, as we would say, a whooping, yeah. you know, <laughs> than not to know, you know. Um, in other words, God is saying, repent. Maybe my wrath will be replaced by my compassion. Or maybe not. Maybe my mercy will be stronger than my judgment. Or maybe not. But what they didn't realize as God called them to repent was this. That when God does call us to repent, we should know that in calling us to repent, it is God's intention to give us mercy. God calls us to repent. He's got mercy waiting right there for you. 
And if he didn't have the mercy waiting right there for you, he would not call you to repent. If God dealt with us according to our sins, his justice knows exactly what to do with us. But without repentance, his mercy doesn't quite know what to do with us. Because we are already dead in our trespasses and sin, and God takes no pleasure in the death of people. But with repentance, God's mercy knows exactly what to do with us. And so we come to verse 11. The bad news reaches Israel, and it sobered them up and made them and drove them into deep mourning. They were in deep, deep mourning. They did not mourn this way when 3,000 were killed by the sword of the Levites in the last chapter. They probably thought that this released them from their guilt, but it did not. They didn't mourn this way when the plague hit, came upon them. They probably thought that this was the full extent of their punish, punishment, but it, it was not. There was nothing compared to what they should have gotten. Okay, amen. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, uh, sometimes when I preach in, a, in, a, in an African-American church, uh, folks, you know, I, I hear uh, what I call black amen say, go ahead, doc, yes, sir, you know. But, but I notice in, 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 in predominantly Anglo churches, there is the equivalent of that. And it goes something like this. So, so I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> okay. All right. I get excited about that. So anyway, so I won't, I won't, I won't ask you for your help. You can just do whatever you want. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, so, but what drove them into great mourning? It was a lack of God's special, special presence. Okay? In other words, they would rather risk danger, the danger of God's anger, than to be deprived of God's presence. Of all the bitter consequences of sin, God's withdrawal is far, by far the one to be feared the most, to be dreaded the most. They, they would still conquer Canaan, but without God's special presence, the conquest and the possession of Canaan would be empty. We often forget that Emmanuel, meaning God with us, is the greatest blessing we have. And everything else is nothing in comparison. You think of a, uh, an interesting guy named Obed-Edom. Anybody remember him? You ever hang out with him? Interesting <laughs> I want to learn some things from him. He was the man who, who's, who saw two guys incinerated right out, right in front of his house when the ark, remember they were bringing the ark back from the Philistine captivity and the ark almost fell over and two guys tried to steady it and they were, they were vaporized. Well, the problem was God ex instructed them to carry the ark on a pole between them, but they put it on a cart using Philistine technology. And when that happened, they were incinerated. But so they said, uh, knocked on, you know, hey, Obed, uh, 
got a question to ask you. Can you keep this ark for a while? Because we were trying to figure out how to get it to Jerusalem. And he did. They, they, he opened his home. And, and guess what happened over the next few months? Everything he touched turned to gold. Success, wealth. I mean, he had every, anything. It just, it, he was blessed. I mean, you t- well, I don't want to sound like prosperity gospel, but he had prosperity, you know, <laughs> on steroids, right? The interesting thing about that was that when they came back to get the ark and take it, take it to, uh, to, uh, to Jerusalem, Obed-Edom abandoned all that prosperity and all that wealth because he wanted to be near the ark. To him, God's presence was more important than his blessing. In our struggle to make ends meet sometimes, we often forget that God's presence is the thing that we most desire. We often get tired and frustrated with our covenant obligations to God. But God, but if God gives us everything we ever want, but withdraws his special presence from us, we would go insane with grief. The Israelites stripped themselves of all their jewelry because they were ashamed. They were guilty. They knew that. Because without God, they didn't want it anymore. They didn't want anything else. Now they hated what they valued because with it, they provoked God's anger. In a way, they wanted to punish themselves. You ever felt that way? You know, we may be tempted to sin because of something we cannot give up. I cannot give this up. I'll even sin to have it. But once we fall to the temptation with this thing that we couldn't give up, all of a sudden we want to unload it. We don't want it anymore. That should teach us something. Haven't you gotten the message yet that sin is a liar? You know, oh, come, and I will give you all of this. And you come, and you don't get it. It lies to you. You're disappointed. What did I do that for? And then what happens? Now, if you're me, I'm stupid enough to go on and do it again. (laughs) Can I get a witness on this? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, So here's the thing. Though they stripped off all their valuable possessions, it was not enough to keep God with them. The tent of meeting was now outside the camp. Remember when they set it up at first, it was inside the camp. Now it was outside the camp, some distance away. They were unworthy of God's presence. And without God's initiative, God would never again return to them. Never. Well... Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But here's the thing. The interesting thing is, though the temp, tent was outside the camp, that said something. Because though they were without God's special presence, they were not without God's grace. And how do we know this? Because, number one, God had not destroyed them yet. And number two, God invited the people to come out and inquire of him. You see, when God plans to give you mercy, 
he also draws you to himself to pray. So here we go. God calls us to repent, but as he calls us to repent, he's planning to give you mercy. When he gives you this mercy, he also draws you in to pray. Now that they were without the covenant, though, they were without their stubbornness. All of a sudden, now they were stiff-necked and stubborn as long as they were under the covenant. Under the special relationship with God. But now that they didn't have it, oh, they were sober and humble as they worshipped as God would appear to Moses. They wanted to show their appreciation for not destroying them. They wanted to demonstrate that they would do whatever Moses promised that they would do. You ever notice how we do that? We mess up and all of a sudden we get righteous. <laughs> then now they long for the blessing of the law. Why can't we do that? Why can't we long for God's presence when we have his presence? Why is it that? I don't know. I just haven't figured. Well, you know what? I'm just glad that Jesus is, is, is working on us, okay? And one of these days it will be perfect. But Moses himself, you see in verse 12, Moses himself was most shaken by this experience. He knew the implications of the no deal better than anybody else. He knew what it meant to live without the covenant. And God warned him, warned Moses that he might destroy the Israelites if he stayed with them. But still, Moses preferred God's anger to his absence. Special grace, for him, special grace with danger was better than ordinary grace with distance. And so Moses gets into this dialogue with God. Before Moses appealed to God on the basis of his covenant promises. In the last chapter he says, oh God, but you promised. But now there's no basis to appeal to God because there was no covenant. And God had no, 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 no obligation to keep any terms. If it had not been for Moses... The story of the Israelites would have ended there. Moses himself had not broken the covenant because he was in God's presence when the Israelites were fooling around with that golden calf. And therefore, all of God's promises were still in effect for Moses. And Moses still related to God on the basis of special grace. And by this special grace, Moses was the only mediator between God and man. Because God had turned the Israelites over to Moses, Moses could have been their king. And he would have been successful because God promised him success. But Moses said, no, 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 this is not acceptable. Remember? I don't know, if I was Moses, I would have taken the deal. You know, remember, remember God says, Leave me alone, Moses. I will nuke all these people and I will take you and raise you up as a great nation. Think about it. The nation of Moses. <laughs> all the headaches those folks. I've been a cat pastor. All the headaches those folks gave him. I'm telling you, I would have taken the deal. <laughs> but I'm glad I'm not Moses, right? Um, but what did Moses do? He still had the special grace with God. But he laid his special grace with God on the line for the sake of the children of Israel. He said, how can I please you and serve you if you reject your people you told me to lead? 
In essence, Moses was saying, saying, Lord, if you reject them, you might as well reject me. Now, in a few years, Moses didn't realize this, but in a few years, another Moses would arise. And his name in Hebrew would be pronounced Joshua, Yoshua. In Greek, Jesus. And in English, Jesus. And this, this, this new Moses would be incredible because all God's promises would have their yes and amen in him according to a future scripture called 2 Corinthians 1.20. And why would all the promises of God be in him? Because he is the source of all grace. Think about that. He is the source. Jesus is the source of all grace. So when God showed grace to the Israelites, that grace was coming to us by way of Jesus Christ. And yet, what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? Today, he daily lays all of this on the line for us as our advocate with the Father. In essence, he says to the Father, moment by moment, how can you be pleased with me as your only begotten son if you reject those who are in me? Do you see the power of being in Christ? If you reject them, you might as well reject me. Where would we be if Jesus kept his grace to himself? Now, remember I said that Jesus had to accomplish righteousness before he, he, he could accomplish salvation. When the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism, he had accomplished righteousness. He could have gone back to heaven and everything would have been great. But no, he stayed to accomplish salvation. And as a result, he was rejected by God, the Father. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those aren't his words. Those were our words. His word is Abba Father. He took our words and he gave us his words. Well, after this dialogue, God finally agreed to be with the children of Israel as Moses requested. Look at verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you as and I will give you rest. Moses, chill. It's all right. I'll be with you and I will be with y'all. Okay. And then look at verse 15. This is interesting. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us away from here. How can anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? Moses was still shaken by the prospect of leading the people without God's presence. He didn't realize that what God had just said. He says, Moses... My presence will be with you as you have requested and I will give you rest. But he continued to plead with God for his presence. He continued to appeal to God on the basis of his glory. Moses was still trying to persuade God to do something that God had already agreed to do. And that is to restore, to reinstate the covenant. So God repeated his promise with the, to be with the Israelites for Moses' sake. Verse 17. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. By saying that, I know you by name, God was saying, Moses, I have singled you out, and I have chosen and selected you. Moses finally believed, but he was still shaken. He was still shaken. He, he, he needed an audiovisual aid for his faith because his faith was weak. Because to, just to think about the idea of God not being with you is scary. And so in verse 18, Moses comes back. Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock to, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand so that you will see my back, but my face you cannot, cannot be seen. Moses is having great, uh, God is having great uh, mercy on Moses because God knows that if any of us see the face of God in an unglorified state, we will be incinerated. The goodness of God here was his whole character and nature. And now the character and nature of God was being revealed as God would proclaim his name. And in this situation, God's name included his mercy, his grace, and his compassion. This time Moses, I think, finally got the message. But Moses wanted to see more of God's presence. Moses wanted to see God's glory. But God said, oh no, can't show you my glory. But I can show you my goodness. He wanted to see God's majesty. And God said, no, 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 you can't see that. But I'll show you my mercy. And the question is, he said, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. What rock? can shield anybody from the face of God. The rock is not glorified. It will be incinerated too. God said he would put his hand over the cleft of the rock, but the rest of the rock would not be shielding Moses. What kind of rock is this? Maybe the better question is, who is this rock? Well, I suggest to you that this rock was none other than the rock of ages. Cleft for us. You see, God was present in ways that Moses didn't even know. Moses just thought this was just a rock. <laughs> but in reality, it was a rock of ages. Do you know that God is present with us in ways that we don't know? We complain, we gripe, and we don't realize that God is present in ways we know and ways we don't know. As Moses was in the rock, so are we to be in Christ. Well, to kind of wrap all this up, God had said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. He said, 
I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But notice he never said, I will show anger on whom I will show anger. Why? It's because God's anger against us is justified and righteous because we all deserve it and nothing else. But on the other hand, God's mercy and compassion are always undeserved. What a relief it must have seemed to Moses when God told him in the next chapter, starting with verse 1, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were written on the first tablets that you broke. Remember when Moses broke those tablets? When he broke the tablets, that was the end of the covenant. It was over. Verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two tablets, two stone tablets in his hands. And then you get to verse 5. God once again reminds Moses of who he really is. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and pronounced his name Yahweh. And as he passed in front of Moses, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh. Now listen, the rest of this is all of God's name. It's all included in God's name. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. And remember that of those who hate him. You understand that. And Moses bowed to the ground once at once and worshiped the Lord. Oh, Lord. Now notice, he's been saying, you got, you're stubborn people. But because God pronounced his name, he has a little boldness. He says, oh, Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and sin and take us as your inheritance. The last chapter of Moses appeals to God on the basis of his covenant promises. And here, this time, Moses is appealing to God on the basis of his covenant name. Now, I hope that rings a bell to you. Now you understand the significance of praying in the name of Jesus. It's his covenant name. name being named by God is not name calling, you know. What a joy it must have been to Moses when God said, in verse 10 of 34, I am making a covenant with you before your people, and I will do wonders never before done for any nation in the world. For the people you live among will see the awesome, how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So here was the beginning of the second covenant with Moses, the second covenant. And since that time, there has never been a gap in the covenant with, between God and his people. Never since. And there, has, and there has never been a moment of the no deal. Nor will there ever be again.
It is not because we have been so faithful to God. It's because God has been so faithful to us and Jesus has been so faithful to us. Under God's grace to Moses, the covenant was renewed. But under God's grace through Jesus Christ, the covenant will never be suspended. He said, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. Let us never forget the awesome blessing it is to be God's people. To have Jesus as our advocate. How many times have you grown weary in serving God? I know I have. And I look around and I see evil people prospering. I say, God, what's up? But I read Psalm 37. He says, don't sweat that. Their day is coming. How many times have you felt burdened by God's commandments? Next time you feel that kind of discouragement, I suggest that you remember the day of the no deal. I'd rather be having a hard time with God's presence than having an easy time without. Don't let Christ's faithfulness to you be a crutch for being complacent. Remember the day of the no deal and count your blessings and thank God for the fact that he has promised that he will never, ever again do that. I'll just say this to end. God makes us all promises. And if you die before God fulfills his promise to you, then rejoice. Because he is obligated to resurrect you. Because he will not let a promise go unfulfilled. That's a guarantee. As a matter of fact, we'll all die before getting all the promises. And that's the guarantee of our resurrection. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But God is a God of grace. He's great. I mean, he's bigger than we can imagine. And yet and still he has time to meet with us face to face. This puny little galaxy we live in, this puny little sun and puny little earth, that's amazing. But grace is amazing. Don't forget. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy that you showed in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Uh, Lord, you just you show us your heart in so many ways. And we take it lightly. We think of people around the world, Lord, who would love to hear such a message. We thank you for our sister that's going to Uganda. We pray, Lord, that you will make us all missionaries, whether we go across the, tree, the seas or across the tracks. We pray, Lord, that you will just remind us of what a blessing it is to be your people. And, Lord, if some of us here have not received your mercy and your promise, then, Lord, give us the grace to do so right now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.